Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary. Don't drink the milk. Don't drink the milk. Don't drink the milk. No, this isn't a podcast about milk. If you like historical intrigue, a bit of culture, and a sprinkling of controversy, this one's for you. I'm Rachel Stewart, and I'm travelling around Europe, following the hidden history of everyday things as they're exported through time and around the world, by force, by chance, or by choice. No need to pack your bags. Just subscribe to Don't Drink the Milk wherever you listen to podcasts. Ruby Frankie was known by millions as a very tough mom. That's exactly the way she wanted it. The social media star amassed a huge following of supporters and detractors alike preaching the values of strict discipline. But you'll learn in a new podcast available exclusively on Wondery Plus how the small empire built by this momfluencer crumbled the moment her 12-year-old son escaped their home and called 911. Wondery and Law and & Crime bring you the new podcast The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie, which explores the allegations of starvation, torture, and emotional abuse leveled against Frankie and her business partner, Jody Hildebrandt. Learn about the family's path to stardom, the depravity investigators uncovered inside the home, and hear in-depth analysis of the ongoing criminal trial. Listen to The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie exclusively and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. It's the criminal code of the underworld and a sacred vow of silence. But what happens when a criminal turns witness against his own? MCD presents Omerta, a live show with me, Nicola Talent, in association with Crime World on April 27th in the Olympia Theatre Dublin. Tickets on sale now at ticketmaster.ie. So this is a contradiction to what Jonathan Dowdle is saying and saying again and saying again and saying again. Dissident groups had absolutely no capacity, willingness or anything to take on the Kinnahans. They just weren't in the same league and recognised that straight away. I'm Nicola Talent and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. Day seven of the cross-examination of Jonathan Dowdall completed today as it was put to him that he'd a role in a botched gun attack on the Kinahan mob at the Red Cow months before the Regency hit and that he was trading bombs for protection with dissident Republicans in the North. Dowdall continues to deny any wrongdoing save for talking nonsense and taking tablets under stress. Today, I'm talking to Niall Donald as the Regency trial draws to a close for Christmas and a defiant Dowdall appeals his four-year sentence for facilitating the murder of David Byrne. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. A little bit to talk about from the actual um, Regency trial where Jonathan Dowdall is really um, tired He's really tired. Yeah. And of course, he's he's got a lot of travel, I suppose, on top of it. But anyway, he took an, another few breaks, but it was a longer session today from half ten until two and yeah. uh, finishing tomorrow, at yeah. least for Christmas. But 
I'm going to be very surprised if he's out of the box before Christmas because Brandon Graham has indicated to him, by the way, and I have not seen this video, that he's going to show the video of the waterboarding. Yeah. I mean, it was exactly, I think at one point, Jonathan Dowdle interjected and basically appealed to the judges and said, how much longer do I have to keep coming here? And he was told... It's not up to the judges, it's yeah. up to Mr. Graham. And that's, that's look, that's the reality. Uh, he's, he's that video, so that we're not finished, by the way, on the tapes yet. Now, we nearly are finished. I'd say we'll be finished with these tapes tomorrow because we're back to Dublin. They've travelled up, they've gone to the meeting, they've got back in the car, we're back in Dublin. He's about to drop Jerry Hutch off. Um, so it's just kind of coming to the end of that. But And maybe they'll get to this video tomorrow and maybe he will finish tomorrow because it's a good long day tomorrow, actually. Yeah. Well, look, maybe so, but as you, as it's it's kind of ironic that as as he's gone through all this testimony and it's been picked word for word, and you know nobody could imagine that it's going particularly well for him or that he's he's utterly convincing in at all points for sure. No doubt he's telling a lot a lot of truth as well, but so right in the middle of that, um, you know the absolute. So high profile in terms of his testimony, it drops in that he's appealing against his sentence. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, tell us about that. That that was outside the court. That was in a different court. That happened. But that's in a different court, and it literally drops as as these things are happening simultaneously. So in one courtroom in the in the building, he's um, saying, "I had no knowledge of the regency. I knew nothing about anything. I was literally just trying to." you know, bring peace. And simultaneously, a, a, another court is hearing how he's appealing against the severity of a sentence because the most, the most sort of, the, the, a huge part of this is that Jonathan Dowdle is serving a sentence. So it's not really a matter of opinion mm-hmm. that he participated in, in the Regency Hotel murder. He, he gave he assistance mm. to it. He's, he's, he's admitted it to himself. He's been sentenced in a court of law. He's been convicted, but when he gets into the witness box, he seems to try and undo some of that and say, that's not like, okay, I was convicted, but it wasn't really the case. That was what we got on to about how he latched on to Reckless and he said he recklessly booked the room. Yeah. He didn't know what he was booking it for, but he recklessly booked it. So um, so today he has a, a barrister who's going in and is appealing those that four-year sentence and saying you know, that it's too long. He's not appealing. He's And it is worth noting, like, he's not appealing the conviction. He's just saying the sentencing is too long. The severity of the sentence is too long. And, like, you know, you get court copy, a reporter is there. It's probably a very brief hearing today. But, you know, it's just interesting to remember what was said when Jonathan Dowdle was sentenced for this. For, for this. And the presiding judge at that case, which is... Um, Mr. Justice Tony Hunt noted that Jonathan Dowdle knew that he was assisting a serious criminal organisation, which contradicts actually Jonathan Dowdle said he didn't know there was such a thing as Mm -hmm. the Hutch crime gang at that point, that he had received and followed instructions to to attain a hotel room in the Regency Hotel. And then there's a quote from the judge. He gave a key card to another member of the criminal organisation and made a room available to a leading gang member. The consequences of this assistance were particularly grave, he said. He added. Mm-hmm. So that is what the judge, after hearing all of this, has said. And he also said, this is at the time, a number of weeks ago, Mr. Justice Hunt said, 
Jonathan Dowdle was complicit in the crime. Mm. Now, that he wasn't just reckless or or stupid, effectively, which Jonathan Dowdle has said. He said he was complicit in the crime, he, despite maintaining that he was not aware of the purpose of or the significance of the room in for which it was used. So that's Jonathan Dowdle maybe has said this in that court, but that is not accepted by the judge. He is saying he is complicit in the crime. So this is a contradiction to what Jonathan Dowdle is saying and saying again and saying again and saying again so on the witness stand. He's appealing that sentence because I remember I was at that sentence hearing and he looked for a suspended sentence completely. He didn't want to go back to jail at all. Yeah. Um, and Justice Tony Hunt wouldn't give him that because how serious a crime it yeah, was. Yeah, but because he's saying he is complicit in it. Mm-hmm. Now he's saying it's not. But is this appeal... Like, do you appeal and say, I want to suspend it, or do you just appeal and hope that well, they'll you, cut it? No, you appeal, yeah, you appeal the, the, the severity. Yeah. You don't say what he should get. Right. And then it would go, you know, the judge may may accept that or reduce it or... or, or and if you like appeal that. the severity, can the judge, because sometimes when people appeal, they get a longer sentence, which <laughs> well, is I always think, very much shooting in the foot, but can he get a longer one? Yeah, I think you can actually, uh, but normally what happens then is if that's likely to happen, the judge says, oh, well, I might actually lengthen it and the appeal is dropped. Um, so that, that you, you sometimes hear that in court. Um, but look, easy, you know, it's, it's a rare occasion. But... I think actually Justice Tony Hunt at that time and the other, other judges accepted that, you know, this, that he was giving a statement, this formal statement, which, you know, we've hear, heard the evidence and the cross-examination of in the court I'm in, that the immediate and lasting effect of assistance the authorities had placed out on his family in significant peril, something which will continue after his release from prison. Yeah. Um, I would like, from listening to him now over the past uh, two weeks nearly, I think he had good hand acting part and putting himself in a little bit of uh, danger well before this. Oh, and absolutely. I mean, he was going to be in danger either way. And, you know, this is another thing that Justice Sun said that's interesting because, again, despite how Jonathan Dowdle presents himself, uh, Justice Hunt said Dowdle had previously committed serious crimes of violence and he was not a person of previous good character. Yeah. Now, Jonathan Dowdle just does not accept that on any level, does he? Well, which brings us back to this video, which you'd wonder, is it going to be the final punch from Brandon Grahan when he does play it? Because it's probably the most powerful thing of all he has to put to him. And two of the journalists that were in court, two of the court uh, reporters, Andrew Phelan and Alison O'Reardon have both seen that video. I think Alison said she saw it in the Newton hearing and uh, Andrew Phelan saw it in the sentencing. They said it's at least 10 minutes long and it's pretty graphic. Like, yeah. I think he's in the, you know, a lot of the threats. He, he, I don't know whether the actual waterboarding is videoed. It is, obviously. That's what the whole purpose yeah, of it was. Yeah. Uh, now, that's a pretty horrific Yeah. But thing see, to happen but anyway this video I think is going to be the final nail in the coffin from the defence for him and uh, you can just see he doesn't want to talk about it he doesn't want to anyway admit to wrongdoing when it, he'll, he'll sort of say I've said sorry for that and I want to move on and I did move on in prison and blah he's at this all the time so I mean I wonder you'd wonder how he would react to seeing it at this point um, in this courtroom, when he's been challenged and called a liar and all the rest of it, he just, it just, he, I just, I can tell you exactly what he'll do. 
he just what? won't accept it. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't won't. me. No, it, like it was me, but it wasn't, you know. It wasn't the me. It wasn't, it wasn't the real It wasn't me. the me that I am now or, you know, I'm really sorry for that. However, uh, you know, shouldn't have done that, but... I'm ashamed. Yeah, and I've, you know, worked, I've worked on that. So, like, I mean, this is, this is, I mean, there's nobody, I think, could read the copy or be in court every day and not want to say to him, like... Give him a shake and say, you know, you can't like it. It's not working. Mm-hmm. This strategy of of flat denial of any sort of level of wrongdoing, mm-hmm. like it's not being bought. And like you know, it's like anything. Like you know, that's the summation of the judge that I've just read out bits of it. Like that is what that when when some when something like that happens, we take that to be the truth. Like things can be wrong or whatever, but that is what society has decided happened, that Jonathan Dowdle was complicit in the in the Regency Hotel murder, that he had, a, he had a role in that, that he isn't a person of good character, that he is a person who's committed violent crimes in the past, and that, he, you know, he assisted a criminal organisation. So you really, he continues to, again today, you know, I'm sure we get into the details of what was said, but it's really a case of somebody continuing to say black is white and, you know, and yeah. again, the, the constant excuse, like anything, anytime that he's caught saying, you know, to talk about loads of stuff again today about, you know, planting bombs, all those types of things. And whenever he's caught with something like that, he just says, that's rubbish talk. Yeah. And, you know, it goes back to, I didn't know anything. I was just making it up. And it's always, I did nothing. And you know what? He actually, for all the, the you know, the tapes, the length of the tapes, he actually gets so much worse after this meeting because they're driving, of course, to this meeting, which happens on a laneway yeah. um, with the dissidents that he's bringing Jerry Hutch up. It's uh, the 7th of March. They're looking to do, they're looking to bring the dissidents to the table to try and do some sort of mediation with the Kinnahans. Eddie Hutch has been killed. There's definitely a sense that there's more murder to come, more innocent people are going to be killed, maimed, whatever. And there's a sense of desperation you can only imagine from Jerry Hutch going up. Um, Dowdall and he have their discussions on the way up, but it's after the meeting they, they get back into the car and they kind of certainly, I'd say both loosen up a little bit about the thing, but uh, Hutch has an awful lot of hearing difficulties both at the meeting and after in the car on the way home. He's yeah. He missed things that were said at the yeah. meeting. Which and he, of course, he's, of he's in every day. You see Jerry Hutch with headphones on in court. Because, but in particular at this meeting, yeah. I mean, they actually describe, he keeps asking, did you hear that? Did you hear that? Did yeah. you hear him say that? No, I didn't. I missed that. And he's repeating, Dowdall's repeating. But one of the things was that they're talking about how the dissidents are going to get on with... Um, they're going to go and they're going to sit down with Daniel Kinahan and they're basically going to tell him what's what yeah. and how they're going to get on with that. And Dowdall sort of says, well, I know what they're going to do. Hutch is a little bit wary of them. He says that they're kind of, they want to just put down the iron fist. They don't know how to deal with these people. They don't realise that, you know, you don't probably do that with the Kinahans. Yeah. Um, Dowdall reckons that they're going to go in and they're going to bend over Daniel Kinahan and there's all sorts of stuff that I'm not actually going to repeat see, nor no, are you, you right? See, no, I'm not going to repeat But it it's like a real lesson in um, when you get the context of this because of course he's due to head to Dubai on a holiday yeah. and 
that's of course he's arrested at the airport on his on yeah. his way. But anyway, he's supposed to be going to Dubai at the end of this week. He's going to forage out some work, and basically, his his intention he says now is he wants to stay there. He was in so much trouble, and yeah. he realised he was in you know his family were in so much danger. He wanted to go there. So just the idea of making those remarks about Kinahan at that point, them getting recorded as you head out to his stronghold Dubai, in Dubai, absolutely. Pretty, Even a pretty, mental place to consider going at yeah. that point. He's not. He's nothing but nothing but illogical, really, is he? But mm. I mean, there's an in, like. I mean, of course, it proved very naive, really, the idea that the the dissident organisations could could bully the Kinnahans into any position. I mean, shortly after all these conversations, uh, the Kinnahan cartel shot dead Michael Barr, who was given a a proper, uh, you know, paramilitary funeral. And, you know, at that point, the dissident groups had absolutely no capacity, willingness or anything to take on the Kinnahans. There was absolutely, they were just weren't in the same league and recognised that straight away. Mm. Um, you know, so the, the, the whole plan really was a bit half-cocked really, wasn't it? Um, yeah, I mean, look, he... He's at pains to try and keep Pierce McCauley out. But Pierce McCauley seems to have been the one who introduced him to Rowan. Now, Rowan has been in Dublin yeah. previous. And um, it was suggested to him today that Rowan was in his house. And there was a plan. And this is around the Red Cow, yeah. which we think was the November of yeah, so, 2015. So, I mean, the, the, you know, we talked, I think, yesterday, was it about the, the there's, there's always different people have different starting points for the feud. But the Red Cow was another one of them. Um, what happened was there was a, a, a boxing night on there. And there was a number of people associated with the Kinahan cartel there, like like they were at the time. They they tended to attend all these these boxing nights, um, and during the boxing night, um, somebody fired shots at a door. Um, it was initially believed that Liam Rowe, uh, Liam Byrne, and David Byrne's cousin was the target. Pro- it, it, ultimately, uh, it wasn't Liam Rowe. Um, but you know, it subsequently emerged that it was it was Daniel Kinahan was again the person they were trying to kill. It's always been a bit of more uh, unclear who was behind it because there was no complaint made at the time. I mean, I think we ran the story that weekend because we we got a tip off on what had happened. Yeah, and there had been a car found burnt out nearby. Yeah. There had been a witness who saw somebody flashing what looked like a yeah. gun. There was a possibility the gun jammed. Liam Rowe was supposed to have stood out for a cigarette. Certainly what happened was something was seen suspicious in the car park and the Kinahan mob fled from yes. the Red Cow en masse. So it was one of those things that was really an escalation. But it was, And then there was a lot of rumours about who was involved and who wasn't. And one of the names being thrown out was Dahi Douglas, who, you know... It may have cost him his life. Ultimately, he was shot dead by uh, uh, by a hitman organised by Fat Freddy Thompson. Um, now, Dahi Douglas, it subsequently appears he was definitely not involved, but he did. He certainly took the blame. So there was an, a sort of an extraordinary exchange where, where well, if you recall, a guy called Darren Kearns, a drug dealer, yeah. was killed around the same time, and he was initially the the, the story came out that. He, who was friends with Dahi Douglas, was was murdered, and then they were going for Douglas. Douglas survived a shooting attempt, and later was photographed, I think, and put up on Facebook from hospital, you yeah. know, recovering. And he became very confident then that he was 
was in the clear that they believed his alibi. He'd gone to the Kinnahans and said, it definitely wasn't me. So it was very murky as regards who did it. But what came up in court today was that um, there's been recordings, obviously, on other phone recordings from Dowdall that we haven't been privy to in yep. the trial. They must be contained within the book of evidence, though. Yep. They're the book of evidence against him. Yeah. Okay. And, you oh. know, it's thrown out a few times during his cross-examination that he has seen this book of evidence against him. Yeah. Because he obviously was charged with murder. It's a strange place for a witness to be, if you know what I mean. It is. It is to be questioned about something that's not being sort of introduced in open court, if you want. Um but the the allegation from Graham is often that he relies on something. He he's, he answers a question this way because he knows yeah. this piece of information because he's seen it. He's already read it in the book of evidence. Yeah. Another witness who was never charged with murder wouldn't have seen the full file no. as such. But in this, there seems to have been recordings of conversations with Dowdall and he was, seems to have been picked up on a conversation talking about fish was in the gaff, in his gaff. Yeah, but that's put to him, is it? And he's not, he sort of says, I can't remember, does he? He or? says, it's put to him, Fish, and Fish, of course, is Rowan, and it was in his gaff, and there's this conversation, and um, he says, I don't know what that's about. Oh, I was, you know, whatever, he was on his tablets again or something. Mm. But there was two young lads, the crux of the conversation is that there was two young lads ready to go, and Fish bottled it. Yeah. And was in his house. And Pierce McCauley seems to be involved in the organisation of it, although Dowdall completely um, dismisses this and says, no way. Um, Brendan Graham says to him, was this another mission? Was this the botched red cow mission? And did Rowan bottle it? Of course, he denies everything. But clearly there is some communications and conversations there saying that Rowan was in his house around this time. And the belief what what you what you 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 could get what you would come away from the court today with was that it was being put to him or there was some sort of well, uh, stuff in the file st- saying that that Dowdall was you know involved in the organization of this which he he flatly denies doesn't he, he actually yeah. directly says oh i'm going i'm being blamed for this as well yeah um, but it's an extraordinary thing uh, because you know it really was one of those incidents that never really fully got clear but it was a very very much an escalation in 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 what was going on and and it was know, a damning thing to put to him today and it immediately followed with that this conversation back to the car to the conversation of course 10 hours yeah. you know you're kind of seeing some of it a little bit anew and fresh because it's not all been yeah. read in and the one time you're just getting clips of it so it's easier to to concentrate on but he talks about in the car with Hutch about Jonathan Dowdall says you know will I go back to the place where I got the uniforms from Yeah, and obviously immediately jump to they have to be the uniforms they wore yeah. to the Regency and he says about the dissidents he's kind of slagging them off and saying I'll get, I'll get them three replica AKs from the same place yeah. so he's asked of course you know what is this what are the uniforms Um you know, I told the police all this in my statement. This yeah. is the statement he made, kind of counteracting yeah. what he said in the car to the guardie during the course of the trial. I think he made the statement, and um, so he doesn't even want to talk about. It. He says it's all nonsense. I, I was on tablets. I was on tablets. So he says, Graham says to him, "Well, are these uniforms the ones? Which uniforms are these? Oh, they're uniforms." He says, "I got for something. They were army uniforms of something I was doing with paintballing." Yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, I mean, three of them. What a yeah. coincidence. Yeah. An awful coincidence for him, really, that it all is. these things it, are adding it, up and it stacking really up. Is. And then you see, then it goes back into, as you said, they get more relaxed. But, you know, the first time I heard the tapes in court, you know, 
they obviously are talking him and Jerry Hutch. They clearly both have knowledge of things that are going on. But it does always sound like Dowdle is a bit pushier. Much more. He's 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 so he's he, presenting some of the suggestions, most of the suggestions actually. And where where Jerry Hutch is naturally so cagey and 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 you know non-definitive. But like he went into a bit where, you know, Jonathan Dowdle is basically saying, I wouldn't let them I'm allowed to say the C word now, you won't? No, you can just say the C words. Well, I'm let them C words off the hook. Yeah. And you know just he's gagging all the time, isn't <laughs> he? No, no, all the time to get a dirty word out. No, well, I said you one made one. me self-conscious, but um, so but what he's saying is like what Brendan Gretton is bringing up is that it's it doesn't sound like you know he sounds like he's pushing these things forward mm. that you know and Jonathan Dowdle you know that that Jerry Hutch is is sort of non-committal, but Jonathan Dowdle is always pushing, pushing, pushing. And Dowdle again says, it's shit talk, it's terrible. And then he comes back and says, I don't know why you keep dumping all this on me. There's two people having a conversation, you know. So it's always, you know, why are you bringing this up? It's nothing to do with the Regency is a thing he keeps repeating. And like, you know, with with Jonathan Dowdle, and I don't blame him for this, and this is not a criticism, and it's probably a correct thing to do. But he, it's like he has a few lines that somebody has told him to say. Either it could be anybody, it could be a friend or anything, or somebody it could be somebody shares a prison, which could be anybody. And he just keeps repeating them. He goes, go, when he gets in trouble, he repeats them. He does. And uh, one of them is indeed that it's nothing to do with the Regency. Yeah. And that's a kind of like, you know, I'm here, I've agreed to talk with the Regency, but if anything is outside that, I'm not getting into it. I mean, that is definitely an agenda he has. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not it's not a brilliant agenda, but it's what, I mean, it's what, if if you were to get interview techniques, like if, and you see politicians do it in particular, and they'll say, you know, they'll have a line that, you know, um, you know, we're, we 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 plan to introduce that next year when after the committee has delivered its report, and they just repeated ad nauseum. Mm. So he does a bit of that, but he's not sharing a cell with anyone. So it's no, you know, but look, he's who, in knows? Isolation who knows? In prison, so. Who knows? And of course, he was a politician, so who knows where he gets that advice? But that is something he falls back on constantly, um, you know. And but Brendan Graham keeps pushing him, and he says at one point, and they're, they're, this is the point where they're discussing the IRA potentially killing the the six assassins that are suspected of involvement in the murder of Neddy Hutch, the monk's brother. And he says, it's you that are of a of, of very firm view that you wouldn't let them loose, the assassins. And, you know, Jonathan Dowdle then again just sort of says that that I can't explain every little thing. But again, he comes back again to say, it's nothing to do with the Regency, you know, it was all rubbish talk. It's never going to happen. And so it, that is the repetitiveness of it, yeah. isn't it? Like yeah. that, that, that he has these lines and they come out. And, and as I said to you, or maybe wrote about it, I can't even remember now at this stage, he does keep staring at the ground. He doesn't let, raise his eyes. He doesn't make any eye contact. He doesn't look around the court. It's almost like he's been trained by somebody somewhere. But of course, you know, the allegation is that he was involved with the dissidents and maybe... Answering to the judge, yeah. not to not to Brendan Graham. I mean, he does actually not maintain that because he gets annoyed and tells yeah. him why you keep asking me that stuff. But yeah, that that's and I mean, of course, other uh, you know people in he's been in prison for a long period of time now. So there, some of those things are. So are, there's two clear yokes involved. One are the three AK 
47s. And the other yokes, which he denies are, any, are really anything, it's just a makey up. He's making up that he has circuits and, yeah. you know, all this stuff. And there's no way he could ever make a bomb and everything. But as they're coming back, like, it does... And they're having this conversation. And of course, it was put to him in, in the court bit by bit, everything he says about it. But it does absolutely appear to, I would consider myself a normal thinking member of society. Yeah. He's trading bombs for protection for yeah. the hutches. Well, that is and certainly he's giving, the, yeah. He's almost looking to give a list of hutches that need protection. And he's promising these bombs. He's denied, of course, that he's given them a, a um, demonstration of them. He's talking about that, you know, he has, when will he give them to him? He's asking Jerry Hutch for advice, whether he should give them to him. He's not really comfortable giving mm. them. He sees them as a bargaining tool. And without this bargaining tool, which of course he's denying are bombs, yeah. what has he got to trade with them? This is something that he subsequently describes as just rubbish talk, just trying to impress Jerry, just trying to have something to say. So, But I mean, it certainly sounds like that. And he recognises himself that this sounds terrible talk, I think he keeps saying. So he, he does recognise that that's what it sounds like. But he keeps falling back on. And again, this is the other thing he falls back on. Nothing ever happened. So whenever mm-hmm. some of that is brought up, he has this straight same answer. Well, nothing ever happened. So that comes up, that answer comes up again and again. And it look, it's... It's, it's, it's a peculiar one, all right, that he reached for that in the beginning and he stuck to it and it's like as if that is ingrained in yeah, his head. Like that is his answer for that. Yeah. And he has an answer for the the other stuff, you know, that 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 he didn't know anything and he has an answer for and so it's 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 like a never ending uh, game of tennis really, isn't it? Back and forth, back and forth yeah. and no you know, no final resolution. I mean just the the other bit of it then you do hear um there's a discussion about Bomber uh, at one point where both Jerry Hutch and and uh, Dowdle are talking about Bomber Kavanaugh, obviously, who's who was David Byrne's brother-in-law, you know, the, described as the Kinahan cartel number two, like really the most senior, the second most senior gangster really in in, in Irish gangland at the time and he, he does, again he falls back in this other answer which he says like he's obviously talking about Bomber I mean, they discuss Bomber, Bomber's wife, which is David Byrne's sister. You know, obviously that, that, that's a woman who's been there in court all the time, you know, so that mm. shows you the kind of the intensity of being in that court. But what he always says with this is, so he's discussing him and he keeps falling back on. He says, well, I don't know Bomber. Mm-hmm. Okay, and he says that about the hitmen. I don't know them. Yeah, I don't know I don't, the names, he says. Yeah, well, he says, yeah, but he's always fall. That's another thing he says. Mm. He's discussed Bomber. I mean, he's never met Bomber. I'd say that's true, but he obviously knows him. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not the same. Like, like I've never met Bomber, but I know Bomber, you know, in the sense yeah. of I know who he is. You know who he is and what, I don't what have he is. To have, I don't have yeah. to have met him to know him. You know? But he, so he has, that's his answer he has for these hitmen. I don't know who they are. Trevor Byrne, I don't know Trevor Byrne. Yeah. I he don't doesn't know, know who Bomber. the Kinnahans are much about them. No. He says back then, you know, he was, you know, when talking about the Kinnahans at all, that he didn't know what they were, basically. Yeah. And he'd never have thought but that this don't, was a good idea. Yeah. But how can he say that? Because the guy is, even if he was completely yeah. outside of all this, and he was just a completely, yeah. you know, somebody from rural Ireland yeah. who had never been yeah. up around the city yeah. where all this had kind of played out and this, you know, murder and mayhem that was to come and all the rest of it. 
But he's also somebody, even if he was that, he's intensely reading the news he's the obsessed, media. Obsessed he's obsessed with, with it. So I'll just give you this little exchange. Gretchen says, then you talk about Bomber. And Dowdle instantly says, I don't know Bomber. So that's the answer. When he's asked about Trevor Byrne, he says, I don't know Trevor Byrne. Mm-hmm. And when he's asked about the hip, the six hit men, he says, I don't know who they are. So that's another answer he has. Yeah. Like, you don't need to have, I mean, like, uh, it's funny, actually, Daniel Kinnan is actually also, in, in some of his public statements, he said, I don't know these people. Yeah, he but said it, he didn't know Jared Kavanagh, do you remember? Yes, he Hatchet didn't know Kavanagh. Him. And he said, like, so it's as if, you know, you can't have, you know, you don't need to know these people. I mean, there's people mm. who order sh- shootings like Daniel Kinnan, they probably have all the shootings of people that they've never met, never seen face-to-face. It doesn't really mean, you don't have to have met somebody face-to-face. But that is an answer he has. I don't know Trevor Byrne, but he's brought up Trevor Byrne. He's the only one who's really talked about Trevor Byrne. But his answer to that is, I don't know him. We're nearly at the end of those tapes, and I do wonder, maybe, maybe, would I put my money on the cross-examination stopping tomorrow, finishing tomorrow? Yeah. I might. Well, I mean, I think like... I might go a two-way bet. Is that really sitting on the fence? <laughs> well, <laughs> no, I think, you, you know, they're, John Dowdle clearly, like, as I said, he's actually stopping and saying, when, when is it all Can over? Can I go home? Yeah. Um, to prison. You know, but I mean, I think, you know, it, each part of it, as you see, the evidence gets distilled as you go through a court case, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And we were having kind of a, you know, a little discussion there, even though we don't quite remember the exact wording. But when the tapes were allowed in, yeah, the judge said something along the lines of, well, I mean, you if, feel that the, the thing was, that it wasn't, they weren't going to convict him alone, basically. Well, I mean, it was kind of a broad thing of this is, you know, there's, there's, there's discussions that are relevant to the case, but in of, its, in of itself, not that's enough. not going to be enough to convict somebody of murder, that there has to be other th- other things, and therefore it forms part of a picture. Now I'm paraphrasing that, but that was kind of the broad thrust of it. That it's not the sole piece of evidence, and that that gives the, that gives the defence some 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 a chance, if you want. You know that it's that there was an acknowledgement that that you know that that this isn't fully enough. It's not enough. So if we take that and we say that isn't enough. The well, tapes. No, I mean, it does. What have we got then? We have Dowdall's two pieces of information. One which is he well, met Jerry Hutch alone in a park and he confessed yeah. to the murder. He confessed to being a gunman. Yeah. Um, we have the fact that the, he says he gave Jerry Hutch the key. key card. This key card we know from CCTV was used. We know that. But it was uh, in the hands of Flatcap. It was in the hands of Flatcap and it was taken from by the Dowdalls from from the Regency. So we do know that like there is sort of a, a chain there. Another interesting point today there was that um, Grehan was sort of putting it to doubt all that. Part of the discussions that they recorded on the tapes were about basically what happened in the Regency. And um, he said to doubt all that when Hutch is talking about it, he's the whole time talking about it in the third person, like as in they did this or they did that. And, you know, he was sort of saying to him, doesn't tally with the fact that he was supposed to have confessed to you. Why doesn't he use the word we? And he said, actually, Graham said that it was extraordinary that Hutch didn't lapse at any stage into using the word we. Yeah. They described, they were talking about the Regency and they were actually talking about a YouTube little video clip that was up. I remember it. There was guys outside and they were watching 
as the hit team were trying to wait for the gate to open. Do you remember that? Yeah, I kind of do, yeah. yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. So he was talking about that. That was, you know, that's what they were referring to. And Hutch made some comment about, um, you know, the lads in the van kind of thing. Wait now till I get that comment right, actually. Uh, oh, yeah. he's He says on the tape, these C words were effing as cool, sitting there waiting for the effing gate to open. But he's saying to him, like, he's again saying it in the third person. If he was in the van, would he not say, we were as cool waiting for the gate to open? Especially after, you know... After confessing to him. Yeah, allegedly confessing. He should have been comfortable saying we to him rather than saying they, you'd imagine. Absolutely. And look, I mean, he clearly doesn't know he's being recorded. You know, that's a given, you know. So, I mean, all of that is, is it it doesn't, it's counterintuitive for, you know, an an ordinary person to sit there and think... um, that that he he would lapse into the third person after put, for, admitting it in the first person, you know, days earlier. However, Jerry is just so naturally cagey on those tapes. And the final thing, and we'll we'll park it after this. But he talks about how when he was going up to this meeting, he's saying after the meeting, his big worry was that he was being accused of getting flat cap involved. Yeah, and. There's a narrative throughout the flat cap was paid, paid 50,000. Yeah. It's the state case that the Regency was carried out and that the gang, shall we say, yeah. that carried it out, used flat cap as a ruse yeah. to try and make people think that this was either a, you know, a Republican, a paramilitary thing, or that it was a joint enterprise. In fact, I think at one point on the tapes, the monk says, you know, any decent copper would think it was a joint enterprise. Yeah. So whoever brought... Flat cap in now. Flat cap is is dead and gone now. Yeah, and he was very unwell and dying at the time. He did run around the hotel. He did stand under the. It was very strange his behaviour. Yeah, but if you do accept that he was used as a ruse, yeah, that makes sense actually. Yeah, um, and really, what went wrong for them all? Yeah. probably was that photograph of ours being taken as they ran from the hotel because, you know, and that sort of did, was sure to have caused chaos to the gang who carried that out. But Dowdall feels that these guys, we and Fluff and yeah. uh, Fish, who's yeah. Rowan, are blaming him, are suspecting him of bringing in Black cap. See, Black like cap. His, his, his big concern the whole time is he's in trouble with the dissidents because they weren't kind of kept in the know but, for, yes, for in a sense. Of, yes, yes. Yeah. And that he might have been sort of acting behind their back. I mean, Kevin Murray obviously was a full, you know, full-blown member of, of what a dissident IRA group. But they say that this crowd of dissidents that he's dealing with don't like him because they must have worked with him before. Yeah, but I think, think he's got, passing information back to the INLA. They have that discussion in the car. Yeah. Well, Dowdall has yeah. that discussion in the car and that he's very worried about it. And he's sitting in the box and he's, using that as a kind of, I, I thought I was going to get shot dead yeah. because of flat cap, because of, and um, when Jerry Hutch comes out of the meeting, he himself says, those guys, it sounds as if they're going to kill flat cap. Yeah. What are they killing him for? Well, because he, like he's one of their own who was, he was a kind of a lone wolf at that stage and had been disassociated with any organisation. Of course they don't kill him either, Jonathan Dowd, they don't. Said, that never happened. They don't and um you know, and it's, it's kind of funny, like, because Jonathan Dowdle says he was literally just a point man. So why would he be in trouble about Flat Cap, you know? So were they ultimately jealous of Flat Cap getting a job? No, I don't think they like people doing work. Right. 
without on their approval. S- yeah, and it's just as simple as that. And getting paid without their approval, mm. and maybe using their name without their approval. Obviously, the another thing that's popped up here and there is the fact that. You know, somebody rang up the newspapers in the aftermath of the Regency and said it was the continuity IRA who had who had been involved in it and used, a, I think it was an old code word they or whatever. I got the call. They it, didn't use yeah, any fucking no, code word. No, they no. just told me that the, the car at yeah, the red sorry. car was purple. Yeah. So they, they seem to have, you know, so they probably, uh, that's that's why the dissidents are angry. You're not allowed to do work, as it's yeah. sometimes referred to, without sort of prior approval. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, it's... It's it's an interesting little window into all of that, yeah. the dissident stuff, um, that maybe wouldn't usually interest us too much down here in no, the South. No, But it's the idea that, um, you know, what's of value to them. Mm. Somebody said to me, there today, would they be interested in those OLAKs? And I said, oh God, yeah. yeah. Because they're largely, a lot of those distance, they haven't affected arse no. in their I trousers. Mean, we like. had a story about in Derry, where where the, the new IRA are quite strong, and they were talking about five, four or five guns. Yeah. That's all they had access to. Yeah. So, I mean, these... And they just don't have the money to no, kind of, No, you know, or the organisation to necessarily mm-hmm. get their hands on them. I mean, this is not like the the provisional IRA who, who you know, had Colonel Gaddafi sending them stuff. These are really are small, oh. that are very powerful in their own individual areas, um, but small groups that that are not. And you know, and then you hear that. Um, actually, Jonathan Dowdle says at one point when they're discussing this, if I'd known who the Kinnahans were at that point, that wouldn't have been the case, as in they're not going to be threatened by the IRA. And that really did prove to by be these the case. Dissidents. Yeah, these yeah. dissidents were not capable. Of taking on, and yet he's a huge amount of trust in them at the time because he's, you know, he's basically assuring. He is, but it was a naive right people to talk to that they're going to do this. There, he talks about they're going to the UK for some OC meeting. Yeah. So all these head the balls going off to the UK to discuss yeah. how they're um, going to what how they're going to take on yeah. an international yeah. trans global drug cartel. Yeah, who could literally have. And, and, did, and threw the money at it and yeah. had no problem and no no difficulty access to weapons, hitmen, and but all of that. They're in these sort of small towns up there. And I've spoken to Alison Morris a number of times, and there's so many unemployed terrorists up there. Yeah. And they're all kind of like it's a small patch, like yeah. and like for extorting businesses and small time drug dealing and this, that, and the other, they're all vying for it. Yeah. There's a huge amount of them, huge amount of gangs, was a huge amount of you know, recognised criminal organisations in that small area of Northern Ireland, you know. And obviously Lifford and then Straban is even smaller. So, like, the idea that they can trade with them what seems like a small... Now, something that can do huge damage to life and property and everything. Of course. But value-wise, like, you know, that's going to empower them if they have three AKs and, and if they have access to these bombs. Yeah, of course. And I mean, they 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 aren't they aren't gearing what they up were. for Easter as well. Yeah. Because they're talking about wanting these yokes for Easter. Yeah. And I mean the 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 ultimately the new IRA have really been smashed in recent times by the PSNI and various informers and taped conversations again mm. that have got them in trouble. But at that point they 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 certainly were trying to expand We must their, go and have a look in the new year. Yeah. at what was going on in 2016 with those Republican yeah. like dissident groupings because actually it's almost like the perfect storm everything isn't it because you know you're talking there February March 2016 they want to make a big statement in the April of 2016 when it's of course yeah. the anniversary 
Yeah. You know, they they are, isn't the Queen coming to? I don't know if the. I mean, obviously, yeah, there was it was the the the, the hundred years centenary. Yeah, it was a big Easter year for them anyway. I don't remember when the Queen came. And I but. think I've a, a feeling there was a lot of police and there was a huge amount of extra resources being put into them. That new IRA were on the rise in Derry. There was a lot of fear that they were trying to sort of arm themselves and becoming and this obviously was probably like a manna from heaven to yeah. them and they were probably promising way more than they could do to just get their hands on those things and you remember like the it was only in the the months after the regency not this is only the weeks after but in the months after it just became apparent how absolutely uh limitless resources the Guinean cartel had and, mm. and their appetite for revenge was absolutely inexhaustible. Yeah. And it just became the reality that these dissident groups are just not in the same league. And right into the middle of that perfect storm, wandered Dowdall. Wandered Dowdall, <laughs> waffling away to everybody. Waffling away <laughs> for all he's worth. Yeah. You know, spoofing as he says. and yeah. You know, but look, yeah, well, fingers crossed tomorrow will be... Yeah, you're losing the, the I'm, will to I'm, live I'm there. I'm losing it. <laughs> you're losing the, your journalistic objectivity. Oh, no, I am. I'm and losing it. And I mean, look, it's not... I mean, I'm sitting there as a journalist. I'm not even no. having to write and file every no. day. I'm just doing the podcast, I suppose. But I'm looking at some of the guards and they've been on this case yeah. for so long. I'd say they just want to take those files and... Yeah. Them on maybe a when Jonathan Dowdle interjects tomorrow and says, can we bring it to an end, you can leap up in court and say, I agree. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. Anyway, well, look, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll finish up, I think, on Thursday with a roundup of it all. And then we can just rest our voices for a while. Yes. I'm sure everybody's sick listening to us as well at this stage. Hard to believe, but it could be true. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. Research assistant is Claude Amini. If you like this show and love true crime, leave us a review. Why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe. Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary.